Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the art of being you. I am so thankful to have you guys here with me today. We're going to be talking about uh, marriage here in just a little bit. This is actually part one of a three-part series that we're rolling out um, leading up to Valentine's Day. So yeah, I think you guys are going to find it enjoyable. But before we get to that, I want to give a couple of updates. And I should say I apologize up front if my voice gets kind of scratchy. I am on the back end of a cold and I've been putting this episode off as long as I possibly can uh, so I could sound at least a little bit like myself. So here we are. Hey, I want to say a huge thank you to all of you guys who've signed up for my email newsletter. I know I said I would send something out and it turns out I'm terrible at email. So uh, I have not had any new updates about the book to send out. So you're not missing anything. But I, I want to just say, um, you know, a Homer Simpson doe or something like that to myself for uh, not sending out the email I said I was going to. Um, but I do have a quick update about the book I wanted to share with you guys, and I'm excited about it. So you guys know I've been working on this new book called Goodness Culture for many months now, many a moon, it feels like. And we are on the final stretch. So the book is written, it's edited, uh, it is being formatted, or it just finished being formatted into its beautiful interior. And now we are working on a few endorsements for the book kind of thing, and then it will be ready to buy. So we are on the home stretch. I'm hoping within the next month we can release pre-orders for it. Um, but you know, it might be two months. I'm, I'm, my goal is within two months, that book will be available to you and I'm excited about it. So thank you guys for, uh, sharing in that excitement with me. So, okay, let's dive into marriage today and let's dive into something that I believe is fundamental for uh, the world and for believers. And unfortunately, Christian marriage often does not look much different than a marriage of two people who are not believers. And I don't think that should be so. In my opinion, Christian marriage, godly marriage, should be the envy of the world. Now, okay, I know you guys are like, Rachel, envy is a sin. And it is. Okay, I apologize. But it should be sort of uh, evangelism via jealousy. I don't know if you've heard me talk about that on the podcast before. But, you know, God uh, used the Israelites. He he basically bolstered up the Israelites and his evangelistic style was through making them the head and not the tail. And people were effectively jealous. They could tell there was something different about the way God treated these people than what they were experiencing. And although I'm not advocating that we lord over other people or, you know, attempt to strive to be better in that type of a, a way, it is true that being a believer in Christ actually does bring advantages into every area of your life. And it is okay when people of the world recognize those advantages and want that for themselves. 
So I am being serious when I say to you that your marriage should be good. It should be something that other people who are not believers look to and say, how do you do that? How is that possible? Maybe they just assume you, you, you know, got lucky and married the right person. But you and I both know that the transformative work of the blood of Jesus brings beauty into every situation that we find ourselves in. So I say that with all honesty, saying that your marriage should be something that is really, really good. And if it's not good, that is um, an opportunity for you to figure out what needs to change to make it good. Now, I want to say for the context of this podcast, I am in no way speaking to people who are in abusive marital dynamics. Um, you know, if you're married to a narcissist, a chronic um, adulterer, somebody who's physically uh, or you know excessively mentally and verbally abusive to you, that's not what we're talking about here. Today, we're talking about people who are are um, you know fundamentally. Uh, not severely broken people. So, you know, I could do an episode later if you guys are interested on on what this context would look like for a dynamic with very broken people. The pathway to healing would look different. Um, but today I'm talking about, you know, our, our typical believer who is uh, operating maybe too much in their flesh when it comes to their uh, marriage and not living in the type of marriage that God really wants for you to have. So today's topic and, and the first where we're starting with this three-part series is talking about conflict and communication. And I'm not necessarily going to give you best practices or specific tips and tricks as much as I want to talk about this part of marriage and what this part of marriage gives us uh, both to our own personal growth and to the growth of our spouse. So I have heard it said many a times, and I have probably uttered these words myself. In fact, I know I have that, you know, when you're in an argument with somebody, particularly your spouse, that you want to win the argument. Right. Uh, different times in my marriage will be fighting over something. And I'm like, look, I'm winning this one. Well, the truth of the matter is that when you win or maybe I should say it this way to win will always require someone else to lose to win always requires someone else to lose. So in your marriage, for you to win an argument, a conflict, etc., you're essentially saying that you want your spouse, your partner for life, your teammate, your other half to lose. And a lot of times when we approach conflict, we approach it from this sort of juvenile perspective that I'm right and you're wrong and this conflict will get resolved when you acquiesce to my rightness. And the truth of the matter is, if you step back and look at that objectively, what you're saying to your partner, what you're saying to your spouse is you are only valuable to me if you don't question me, if you don't, um, you know, just acknowledge my rightness in this way, that your opinion, your viewpoint, your perspective on life is not valid. It's not as important. And so when we approach conflict and communication in our marriages, in the way that God wants us to, it cannot be that there is one right person and one wrong person. Danny Silk talks about, I believe it's in his um, 
book, Keep Your Love On, maybe. I'm not sure which book it's in, but Danny Silk uh, from Bethel Church in Reading, he talks about it like this, that most people think a dynamic in a marriage is one powerful person and one not powerful person. And the powerful person or the dominant person gets their way nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10. And the less dominant person just acquiesces because there's no point in fighting with the powerful person. But what he challenges the, the reader and the listener to consider is that a God marriage is a coming together of two powerful people, two powerful people learning to do what Ephesians tells us and to submit to one another. I cannot tell you, I, I one of the quickest ways to light a fire under me is for me to listen to stories where husbands say to their wives, you have to submit. You have to submit. Biblically, you have to submit. Well, if you've listened to me talk, uh, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast, and I've preached this as well, that that context takes that verse completely out of context and actually puts it into the realm of the flesh, where uh, a lot of times husbands use this verse to try to control their wives, right? And it does not work, because what you're doing is saying your freedom that Jesus gave you as a daughter of God is not as important to me as my opinion about this situation. Now, if we're being the devil's advocate and we're looking at, you know, this objectively, we do have to acknowledge that every marriage needs to know where the bottom line is going to be, right? It's not possible that you're going to agree on every single decision that needs to be made. So you do kind of have to decide who are you going to default to uh, in these conversations. And a lot of times that ends up being the husband. But the reality is you cannot lord over someone else this sort of air of superiority and expect that to bring about intimacy and kindness in your marriage. Because as soon as you become into the authoritative space over your spouse, whether you're the husband or the wife, you are demeaning them as someone less than a partner to you. They're no longer a peer, they are a subordinate. And in a godly marriage, it is two people becoming one, both in the oneness that they bring and lending that to the other. It's not true that two halves make a whole. I mean, that's not that's a worldly viewpoint of marriage that's not biblical. But what is true is that two whole people redeemed and bought with the blood of Jesus come together to unite in a covenant relationship, to walk this life with one another, to pray for one another, to, to be near to one another, to comfort one another, to submit to one another, which is what Ephesians also says. And to do that in a way where God gets glory, it's it's a reflection of what God is like, right? Where he and Jesus are coming together and, and the Holy Spirit coming together and this beautiful, connected, um, you know, I'm going to say intimate without it. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, of course, but, but this intimate closeness where they know each other's minds, where they know what they're trying to do and they live this life in perfect unity from different vantage points. That's what marriage is a reflection of. So as long as we approach conflict and communication through this, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to win this, I will show you, you know, type of, of mentality, we're already off base. We're already off base. Why? Because that's not what God has for you. I'm guilty of this in, in my marriage as well. I think it's something that every marriage struggles with because we do typically are drawn to somebody that's different than us, right? I'm a very 
bold, opinionated, uh, loud person. I'm not the loudest in the room. You know, I, I've, I've honed this a lot over my life. So those of you guys that know me right now might think, well, I don't know. Is that true? But my husband will tell you, I have no problem telling him that is complete crap. Your idea is dumb, you know, and I really have to watch myself to not be that kind of a person. Proverbs has a lot to say about the nagging wife, right? It's not a good look. Um, and so in my journey, in, in my husband and I's relationship, for example, he is a very strong person, but he is a he's not as vocal as I am. So he might give me the illusion that my you know strongness is what's winning the day. Um, but at the end of the day, he's very confident in his place in our dynamic. Look, we've been married for 17 and a half years now. And over that time, we've been through so many different seasons of learning what it looks like to lay down our own fight our own need to be right, and to prefer one another, which is what the Bible tells us to do. So I want to give you a couple of things to just think about. And again, I'm not giving you tips on how to communicate because Lord knows there are books upon books and podcasts and resources out there if you need help with this. I want to talk about the heart of conflict and communication today. Here's what you need to know. If you hear nothing else, hear this. You need to be aware of the baggage in your spouse's life. Now, some people would say, you know, they don't have any baggage. Well, okay, I hope that that's the case for some unicorns out there. But most of us are carrying some sort of baggage in our life that needs to be redeemed on a number of levels with the Lord. See, here's what happens. We experience some wounding in our childhood, even in really great context of family. And we spend the rest of our life spiraling around that 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 uh, wounding, and hopefully going into greater depths of redemption from the Lord. So, if you had a particular trauma in your life, you need to understand that although you can be dramatically healed and set free from the dynamic of that trauma, you will revisit it again in your life. And what I mean by that is, it will creep up in other relationships. You'll be around people who bring about that dynamic. Let me give you an example, um, if I can just be really vulnerable here for a moment. When I was a small child, when I was a young girl, I was molested by my best friend. Um, this went on for a period of years. Uh, it went on for a long time, actually. And, you know, I was four or five when this began. And when I, I was probably eighth grade when it was over completely. So when I am around uh, people with this particular girl's personality type, no matter how much deliverance I've been through, which is a lot, and how much inner healing I've been through, which again is a lot. And, and to be honest with you, this story I'm telling you has very little bearing on my life at all. I don't think about it. I can even say it to you feeling as though it happened to somebody else, not even to me. I've been through so much breakthrough with the Holy Spirit. But if I come around a, a female with that personality type again, it, it causes something to shake inside of my soul. And that is baggage, right? That's what we're talking about, about baggage. So it, does that mean that I can never be friends with somebody? Does all women with that personality type, are they deem, you know, doomed to be kryptonite for me? No, of course not. But it means that when I am triggered in that way, when I feel that sense of vulnerability, when I feel like my back is up against the wall, and when that happens to me, I am a fighter, 
I will pull out my sword and I will cut people to the core to get out of that situation because it brings me back to being this five-year-old girl who was helpless in that moment, who wanted to do that, but didn't feel like that was the appropriate response. So what I'm saying to you is we all have this baggage and some of us are not aware of what the baggage is. This is why that attachment styles episode I did a few months ago is so important to pay attention to because we're all coming into our marriages in that way. So you need to be aware of the baggage that you and your spouse has because here's the reality. When you are in an argument, that moment of arguing, you're not just you. You are actually triggering something often. You're triggering triggering something in them. Let me just give you another personal example while we're on this topic. So my my husband, um, he grew up in a dynamic where there was a lot of intense, uh, unbridled emotion that was not healthy. Um, that's the nicest way that I can say it. And if I am just completely losing self-control, and I try very hard not to do this, but maybe once a year or so, I, I get, I allow, you know, I don't bring it up enough to where it builds and it surfaces and I feel like my back is against the wall and I might do, uh, you know, I might say some things that I don't mean or I might kind of like become erratic for a moment, okay? I'm being honest with you guys. I'm telling you the truth. I'm in process with this myself. In fact, actually last year, I had the biggest breakthrough on this I've ever had. So uh, thank you, Jesus. But in those moments, you know, I would think my husband is hearing me, his wife, unveiling my anguish and, you know, he would be moved to compassion by what I'm saying. And I know some of you guys cannot understand that, but others of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And to my shock and horror, what I discovered significantly, you know, too late in the game was that when I'm in that mode, when I'm acting like that, that is not what my husband hears. He is actually triggered by a childhood situation and I become like this person that I do not want to be identified with. But it causes that same feeling in him, which causes him to have the same response, which is just to completely shut down and let the tornado of emotion move past because this person in his life, this other person could not be reasoned with. There was no there was no way to escape that dynamic. You just kind of had to let it be there and then move on. He had no other options at that time. So when I realize this, I'm going, oh my gosh, I don't want to be that voice to you, right? I don't want to become that voice to you. If I'm aware of your baggage, then I can call myself up into who I know I should be anyway and choose to partner with what Jesus is trying to do in this marriage and not what the enemy is trying to do. Look, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to become the vessel of condemnation to your spouse. He would love nothing more for you to become the vessel of diminishing the greatness that lies within your spouse, for you to become the person who causes insecurity in them where they feel worthless because they don't feel heard. That is not what God wants. So remember, you're not just being you in your conflict moments. You're, 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 I wish it wasn't true, right? I wish we could avoid this and that it wasn't real, but it is. We become like the person who wounded us, um, the person who wounded them, sorry, when we're in those type of conflicts. So a couple of last thoughts for you. Write this down if this is interesting for you. Honesty has to become a top priority in your marriage. It has to be as equal of a priority as you owning your own growth. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But honesty has to become a top priority because when we try to be polite, 
We often veil what we truly think. Now, I am not advocating that you say things for the sake of hurting your spouse or being rude just because that feels good in the moment. What I'm saying to you is that honesty and connecting over truth is so important in a marriage. So what does this look like? It looks like having the guts to say to your spouse, look, when we're arguing and you're and you bring up this kind of stuff, this is how I feel. And and I need to not be a part of those kind of conversations. What can we do to um, have these type of conversations in a different way? Right. My husband would say to me, look, when you wait so long to bring this stuff up because you're trying to work it out on your own because you don't believe that I can help you or whatever, you know, belief might be there. He'll say to me, if you would just come to me right away, we would be able to resolve this and dissipate all of that tension And then we can avoid these larger conversations when he's like, you know, I didn't even know you were feeling this way. Right. Look, we we know if you've been married for longer than a year, you know, your spouse cannot read your mind. You can drop hints. You can highlight pages and books and leave it under their pillow. You can do everything that you can think of and they won't be able to read your mind. So honesty has to become a top priority. Last two thoughts for you guys. Uh, well, really, they're, they're two parts of the same thought. If you're well, I think all marriages are like this, but I was going to say if you're like me, you have one or two conflicts that you circle around habitually. I think every marriage has this. It's different from one to the next what the content is, but all of us have this sort of one or two conflicts that we can go around and around and around and fundamentally we just don't see eye to eye. We just don't understand where that person is coming from. If that's you, I really want to encourage you to take some time to identify them, write them down in your journal, and then break down what it would take for you to actually get a resolve. Maybe you do this by yourself at first and have your spouse do this as well so that you guys can sort of identify, um, you know, together what you feel like needs to change. When we get into these same conflict patterns and we keep hammering down on what we believe to be the right perspective, we're asking our spouse to lose. And so we have to get creative and come up with the third option. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will always provide a third option. So identify the top two conflicts and break them down. And then you're going to ask yourself, what is it going to take for us to put this to bed for for good? Like, what's it going to take to to finalize um, coming to a place of clarity on this topic? For some, it may be that you come to a place where you realize We will never see this the same way, but I will do my best to acknowledge that your viewpoint on this is not wrong. If it's not biblically wrong, then it's not wrong, right? And so we have to do this sometimes. In my marriage, we've had to do this, oh my gosh, way too many times where, you know, because I can be stubborn, you know, I'm working on it, but I can be stubborn. And so I would say like, look, like, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to say that's the right way to treat somebody or whatever the case may be. And my husband will say, yeah, I mean, I get that you don't feel that way, but that's not how I'm going to be. I'm not going to do that. And so we'd be at the stalemate, right? And then months go by and it comes up again and you're right back picking up this argument that's been weaving a thread through your marriage for years at a time. When we get breakthrough on those topics is when we sit down and actually acknowledge what is required to dissipate this, because what's not going to happen at this point is you're not going to see it my way and I'm just not going to see it your way. So instead of going back and forth trying to accomplish that, let's get creative on what the third option is. 
How do we make peace with this? What do you need to hear from me? What do I need from you? And can we bring that into fruition so that even if we disagree about the topic, we can be connected and united in our hearts? I just think that this area is so important. You know, conflict and communication is one of the number one reasons why marriages fail. And I think a lot of it is because we are trying to make someone else powerless And the other component is that a lot of times we're not recognizing the baggage that's there in the, in the relationship. So if this is striking a nerve with you, if it's helping you kind of identify some things going on in your marriage, please, please, please take some time to uh, process this, take some time to journal about it and and write it down and try to get to the bottom of some of the these things, because I'm telling you, God does not want you to be living forever in a way where um, it's an us and them, right? Where you're trying to convince God to to keep your spouse, bring your spouse to your side. Look, at the end of the day, God is your husband's father and God is your wife's father, right? And so our, our primary identity is as a son and a daughter of God. And God is not going to side with you against one of his own kids. He's just not going to do that. So what do you need to get creative to find a new option to approach the conflict going on in your marriage? I hope this is helpful for you guys. Next week, we're going to pick up part two on this marriage series. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wartman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.